0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings' path to respectability on defense. We give you that today.
1: Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast.
0: Happy Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. It's another week, and it's the Minnesota football party with Arif Hasan and Luke Braun. My name's Sam Ekstrom, covering the Vikings here at Locked On Sports Minnesota. Find me on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, Arif on Twitter, at Arif NFL, Luke Braun on Twitter, at Luke Braun and Today's show brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. Get started today. Coming up on today's show, Minnesota Vikings' uh, defensive respectability. How can they attain it? What is the path to the Vikings not being a bottom three defense like they've been The last three years, we discussed that and KJ Osborne's chances to be a legit wide receiver too, and not just the guy that we enjoy because he's a cool guy and because he was a fifth round pick. How is he a legit wide receiver too next season? I think we also bring back nerdy stat of the day. That's definitely going to happen. And I've got a pie chart on how to divvy up the carries in the running back rotation. So no shortage of topics on today's Minnesota football party, which is available Free uh, and available wherever you get your podcasts. We're also free to subscribe to on YouTube. Just find Locked On Sports Minnesota. Luke Braun, good morning. Arif, good morning. Uh, are you ready to tackle the heavy topics right out of the gate, or do we need more small talk?
1: I mean, th- I mean, this sounds pretty serious. I think we should get to it. I mean, this is like really deep, heavy off-season stuff.
0: <laughs> Arif knows is, my heart. People he, really are... the people want to <laughs> hear it. Yeah, we're doing great. (laughs) The Minnesota Vikings defense has been poor uh, through multiple defensive coordinators, some new personnel. It has been poor for three seasons and projects to be poor again. What is the Vikings' defensive path to respectability in 2023? Let's lay out the blueprint, kind of bullet point by bullet point. How does Minnesota pull this off with a depleted secondary, depleted linebackers, and currently a murky, that's my word of the off season murky, a murky defensive line situation. Arif, we'll start with you.
1: I mean, I think a lot of it just has to do with uh, you know, coaching, right? Like the the path to respectability is like essentially trusting that Brian Flores knows what he's doing, right? Which I think that most of us do. Um it's, it's going to be, you know, figuring out, you know, the correct rotation for that defensive line. Like, as you mentioned, it's murky. One of the reasons it's murky is because, you know, we don't really know what to do with all the edge rushers. Right. Uh, And kind of figuring out what to do with all those players, making sure that they all get, you know, enough snaps, you know, maybe, maybe at least 800 each or something like that and and have them play kind of across the line uh, whenever appropriate. That's a big part of it. But also I think, uh, you know, the biggest part of it is making sure that, you know, secondary coheres, right. Because if, if we're, you know, truly evaluating what the Brian Forrest defense has done over the past couple of years, in Miami and New England, we know that there's a heavy amount of man coverage, whether that's often press, I think that Luke mentioned that it's off coverage a little bit more often, um, but that there is a significant amount of, you know, player freedom, a lot of blitzing, a lot of, uh, you know, movement around, you know, a lot of, you know, taking advantage of like unique player skill sets to, to send them, um, you know, in, in, into places that they're a little bit more comfortable with, with, which I think that you need to maximize because a lot of these players um, can be one-dimensional in some ways or limited in some ways, right? Like, I think that there's a way, for example, that Brian Asamoah, you know, could be misused and is, is not an appropriate linebacker for a lot of situations. And there's a lot of areas where his skill set really shines. And so you need to find ways to kind of maximize what he does. And I think the path to that, the path to respectability involves, you know, accounting for players like that, accounting for, you know, what is it that Byron Murphy does well? What is it that he does poorly? What is it that, he, you know, um, what is it that, you know, Makai Blackman does well? What what does he do poorly? Finding ways to isolate the stuff that they do well uh, and, and fitting within kind of the, the overall, you know, cohesiveness of the defense. So the path to the defense is Brian Flores is good at what he does, which, you know, we expect that to be the case.
0: Brian Flores masterminding a defense is probably bullet point one. Everything else is a sub-bullet point beneath that. Luke Braun, your thoughts? I, I think it's pretty simple. they they got to get more out of their corners.
2: I, the corner room is more or less what it's going to be at this point. We m- mostly know the shape of it. Maybe they add another guy. Um, but we mostly know the shape of We've got Byron Murphy, probably some competition between Booth and Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman and whoever else. We need to get more out of those guys than I think we would, would most fans are expecting to get. Um, like Garif said, it's a lot of one on one coverage, a lot of man coverage. Um, there is plenty of press. There's a lot of off when they blitz. They have to play off coverage when they blitz, uh, which puts a lot of stress on off man coverage. Um, can those guys do it? That's kind of going to be what this comes down to. Brian Flores loves to rush five, loves to live in, in these kind of blitzing worlds. It gives you something of a floor in a weird way just because, all right, that's going to just like disrupt enough plays where it, it can maybe figure out somebody's protections and you can kind of steal a game that way. But if you can't cover on the back end, those blitzes get exposed a lot. So I think their path to respectability is honestly getting more out of out of Booth and Evans. Than um, they expect, and or than we expect, because the Vikings have been talking these guys up all off season. I think they need to that needs to bear out. If those guys can cover, then this thing can work out really well. But if they can't, yeah, it, it gets exposed. I think it's all about getting more out of the corners. And if you can't get more out of the corners, then I think the path to respectability is wait another year. <laughs>
1: it's tough. That's what it is. It's Let
0: difficult. Let's go in our our time machine here. Let's go back to two thousand twelve. That was a group sorely in need of a defensive turnaround they kind of aged out on defense they were 31st in points allowed in 2011 2012 was an enigma they were 14th what did that group do well how did they turn it around with seemingly nothing going for them uh on paper and I shouldn't say that they did have some good pieces they Jared um, Allen right Jared Allen yes but my suggestion is that what if you just get really good at stopping the run, like really good at stopping the run? Is that not more realistic than assuming the secondary just gets it together? And that's going to be frustrating. Let's just assume that's going to be frustrating. But what if you're really good at stopping the run? I think you have more pieces in place to do that. I think there's probably a little more randomness involved than just being a good run-stuffing team working as a unit then assuming that these guys that are on islands are going to be good at pass defense. So if you are a top eight run defense, does that not make it so much easier than for those guys in the secondary in some, in some favorable situations for the defense, potentially? Potentially. What do you guys think about that?
1: Uh, so it, it, it certainly helps, between... but I don't know
0: how you're going to approach that. Like, well, I mean, you can are, you are can like change
1: like, like the box count and and yeah and and play your nose a little bit more often. Um, but to me, the if the choice is between improving your run defense dramatically and improving your pass defense marginally, maybe by playing your nose tackle more often, maybe by playing you know the higher box count a little bit more, maybe you know blitzing a little bit less in areas where it opens up run lanes, you know the, you know making sure that you know the way the defense is oriented. On first and second down is primarily to stop the run. If the choice is between to improve the run defense dramatically and the pass defense marginally, I would still take the pass defense. I would still think that you know finding ways to make sure that the corners are maximized as opposed to putting them in situations where they're going to be a little bit better off, like on third down. Um, I would I would rather right that you don't get exploited for like a 50 yard pass on first down, right? I would rather that you improve the pass defense marginally because the relationship that it has to winning games is a little bit larger, even though that these, these things like you pointed out, Sam are related, right? Like the better you are at run defense, the more likely you are to be able to force, you know, second and long and then third and long and then third and long is, you know, a passing down and you've got a lot more tools available to you to help stop the pass and you get a little bit better at it. Right. I mean, like, you know sack rates double, uh, pressure rate doubles uh, on 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 third down, right? So it's it's not as if that this relationship doesn't exist, but um, I would say that you're giving up essentially conversions on first and second down through the air that way, and that's going to hurt you more in the long run. So I would say that I would rather you know take the risk and and improve your pass defense marginally than um, improve the run defense dramatically, which is. The gamble the Vikings hoped to take last year, but the problem is, uh, in in making their run defense worse with the way that that scheme was oriented, they did not improve their pass defense, which that is just worse. You can't you can't just Mm -hmm. do that. So um, (laughs) that
2: just broke stuff. It didn't fix anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. You just kept breaking. Uh, So uh, I would argue that that that's the worst of all worlds, and don't do that. But um if if that's the choice, I'd improve the pass defense marginally.
0: But Braun, do you think that without devoting extra resources to making the run defense better, that could could it happen schematically? Because and I'm not saying that they're gonna have great tackling from Asamoa even or Hicks, um, but their edge rushers, the ones that at least are on the roster now know how to tackle. Um, I think it comes down to kind of that interior line, how they can fare. And I know there's not a lot of big names in that group and you lose Delvin Tomlinson. So there's nothing to suggest the run defense will be better. But do you think that the Flores effect could lead to that?
2: Uh, you know, I'm not great at Flores's run defense yet. Uh, so that's that's hard to answer. But I will say, it's, it's schematic.
1: Weird. He's been weird about it. Is it? Yeah, is it's he?
2: weird. I genuinely, like, have not gotten to look into it yet.
1: The fronts oh, okay. are weird. <laughs>
0: Give us more. I, I I can say weird. more words about that, Arif. That sounds interesting.
1: Uh, okay. So, I mean, a lot of it's built off of what Belichick has done previously. So, um, but the thing is, like, with different personnel in there, there's different approaches to what those defensive linemen will do. So, for example, um, this all goes all the way back to like Vince Wolfork, right? When they had Vince Wolfork in there, they would have him two gap and everyone else one gap, right? And breaking that down without that knowledge is really difficult to do. Uh and so like how the linebackers approach, you know, the gap like cuz they would just like leave the A gaps completely uncovered, right? And they were really good at run defense because Vince work was really good at two gapping the center, right? And they would leave all of these other uh gaps open essentially for linebackers since so they would steal a gap back by having one two gap there, right? I mean Seattle did this for a little bit a little bit with their four techniques two gapping. Um, In 2011 and 2012, but Brian Flores has experimented with this a little bit. And when he's had, you know, nose tackles, um, you know, like Christian Wilkins, right? You know, it's been um, a possibility to change what each individual defensive lineman is doing based off of the front. In fact, even there's a moment where um, the Belichick defense would have one side be one gapping and the other side be two gapping. That's crazy, right? Uh, and so to kind of break down that run defense, it's a little bit difficult without knowing that that is on the table uh, and it really screws up with the way offensive linemen kind of block, right. And and the way they get up to their protections and stuff like that. So, um, or the way they get up to the run fits and stuff like that. So um, it can be kind of tough to break down. Um, I think that that approach is going to be really good for someone like Asamoah who who. Um, Freelances a little bit, kind of likes to shoot gaps as often as possible, and so if you just like give him runways and have everyone else just kind of figure it out, you might end up with a really high level performance from somebody who does not have a complete skill set yet as a linebacker. So it, it can be pretty weird to figure out what Flores is doing from a, a, a run defense standpoint.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that that all sounds really cool. I I think the only thing I want to say is like solving a problem schematically is in a way spending a resource like schematic resources are resources um just because you aren't like spending cap space or a draft pick on a different player but then you have to make up for that player like the most obvious example i can think of is like chipping for a tackle that's struggling you can cheap you can cheap out on tackle but then if that means you have to spend a player every snap chipping or double teaming with that guy like that's a, just a cost manifesting in a different way um but when it comes to the run defense, yeah, if, if that stuff can all work out, I don't know, do we have somebody that, like, does Harrison Phillips two-gap that well? And I know that there's other ways, other forms that this can take. That we don't have to, like, say this is the Vince Wilford, this is the this guy, this is the that guy. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm, in general, if you can improve the run defense, that's great. That helps, but it doesn't really make me that much less worried about the corners because eventually teams will mm-hmm. pass on them.
0: Yeah, and I agree with that. You're going to have your A.J. Jefferson moments with Andrew (laughs) Booth Jr. and a Caleb Evans. What do you think of that poll? Uh, That's a 2012 reference. Uh, So let me just reverse reverse ask the question. Were the Vikings resource poor in the run game last year, whether that be schematics or or personnel? Because obviously with Mike Zimmer, they were not personnel poor. They had Michael Pierce. They had Dalvin Tomlinson. They had Everson Griffin for a year. They had Daniil Hunter like in 2020 and 2021 were horrible. Uh, with Ed Donatel scheme, did you sense that there was, were they actually trying to take from the run defense to bolster the pass defense? Was that a sense that you guys got? 100%. Yeah. The way,
2: okay. yeah. The way that that manifests is that they would take a guy out of the box. They would like never have a safety. You'd never have Harrison Smith on the line of scrimmage. And we all complained about that all year. That's right. kind of the way that that manifests where you go. You're just not going to we're not going to use you in the run. If we give up more run, that's fine. But we also have Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson up front. Um, and we're going to hope that having two high safeties all the time helps us a lot in the past. But because of other stuff that didn't really manifest, it did not help in the past. And they had all kinds of problems in the past. They actually had like the same two problems in the past. Every single game for everybody. That was really easy for everyone to exploit because it was always the same. And uh that was frustrating enough, I guess, for that whole plan to get thrown into the trash.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You'd always keep a safety out of the box. You'd um you you would always be minus one in the box. And by that I mean that there was always uh one more blocker than there was a defender. So it wasn't just taking a safety out of the box. That was part of it. Um, But also, you know, they would they would keep the linebackers out wider, right, that they had the ability to shut down like running back flares and, you know, um, slot defenders entering their zones and stuff like that. Uh, And so you would not have um, your your linebackers lined up over a gaps and stuff like that. And you'd be kind of relying on, um, you know, the Rams call a gap and a half, right? You'd be relying on your defensive tackles to have their own gap, but also peek into the gap behind them and then maybe try to block Shed to do that. And the thing is that works like really well when it's like Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. Um, And, and though I think Dalvin Tomlinson and Harrison Phillips are really excellent defensive tackles, they are not Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers. Right. And so it is really difficult to ask someone to occupy a gap. And then uh, if the run flows in the opposite way, rip all the way across a player's face to get into the other gap in time to get to that running back. That is just a, a hellacious ask. So, um, yeah, I, it, I, I think that a lot of the way it was set up was, was designed almost specifically to, um, you know, induce the run, not even just like be poor at defending the run in order to help back. make them run the ball because it's less yeah. efficient. Mm-hmm. And then kind of a the bucket check
2: areas. into it or they'll, they'll, they'll kill it. they'll, there are RPOs that are based on like box count or based on like, is there like, what does this guy do? And and yeah, trying to bait out those runs was also. Yeah. So they would, they would invite specifically.
1: Yeah. Which like that is a philosophy. I don't have an issue with, you just have to, you know, if you're going to do that, when they do throw the ball, you got to stop it. (laughs) Like You got to like, like you got to live up to the other end of the bargain, which is to be good at defending the pass. So I don't, I have no issue with inviting the run, that they run more often, but like, you got to be somewhat decent at stopping you pay for. the run. And then, yeah. And then you got to make sure that you stop, uh, stop the pass.
0: And I think it all comes back to Luke Brown's original point. You got to get more from the cornerbacks. And I would even venture to say this it's 2023. We are a decade removed from the last time the Vikings hit on a cornerback draft pick, Xavier Rhodes. I don't think Trey Waynes is a hit. I don't think Mackenzie Alexander is a hit. I think they were slightly below expectation for where they were drafted. I think it's been a long time. It's been way too long for what's been devoted to that position in draft capital. Agreed? Disagreed? It's a little
2: harsh on some of those guys. And I also think it's perfectly appropriate to uh, pick a corner in the top, like 70, we'll say like every other year. I think if you don't do that, it starts to deteriorate really fast on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I mean... Or, like,
2: or you're not doing that because you have guys you're extending that are on your team for 10 years and you just don't need to.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would argue, like, you know, Mac wasn't a hit, Trey Waynes wasn't a hit, and they, they need to be continuously aggressive about quarterbacks. I just... The the thing that frustrated a lot of Vikings fans was, like, how often it happened in the first brand and then how often it turned into somebody that... You know, like, on Mike Hughes, right? It just turned into somebody yeah, that Mike was not Hughes and... So, like... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't want to, like, bad mouth jeff gladney because he's passed away but i mean when he was with the vikings he was not very productive yeah it's so it's okay to be
2: i think frustrated that 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 the first round pick did not return good value i don't think that that's like reflecting on jeff gladney it's not blaming him for being dead
1: yeah right exactly so um yeah i mean those those uh those picks i think it's it's fair to say that they weren't hits but you you need to keep you know, swing in the bat because uh cornerback contracts are difficult yeah. to absorb, like especially like the Eagles just kind of discovered this, right? Extending two high level cornerbacks is really tough. Uh and so continuously having um a group of cornerbacks is like critical. The yeah. Eagles cat maneuvering
2: is so funny. It is like what lot. they have done to facilitate
0: this is dark <laughs> and evil. <laughs> Are they super overextended again? Like they were 3 years ago?
2: I I think well, they're whatever what they're doing down. is very weird. Like they they go crazy with void years, they go crazy with weird contract structures. Like Jalen Hurts's contract structure is super unique. Um mm-hmm. and I think it's in a way extending further than like what the Saints do where they just like promise a bunch of salary and restructure it. Um the the Eagles are like they they do spend their flexibility quite a bit, but they also did just like they, they've come out of some of the harshest cap situations in football and they're like extending quarterbacks to record setting deals and stuff. Yeah, so it's like I mean they're finding a way. They've got a super team right now.
1: Yeah, they had they had seven players on their defense uh scheduled to hit free agency this offseason and they kept most of them, which is wild considering that they were already negative in the cap before those extensions. So the, their yeah. ability to kind of figure that out is Prodigious.
2: I think other teams are gonna should and are going to start copying that stuff a little bit.
1: Yeah. We'll
0: see. I'm gonna tell y'all about FanDuel, and then I'm gonna do something I've never done before, and that is provide a negative argument about KJ Osborne. This will be a first for me. Oh my gosh. We'll see if I can muster the cojones to get it done. But first, today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. In addition, they have great promotions at FanDuel. I recently saw a Bet 5 Get 150 promotion that's running on FanDuel. Make sure you could check that out on the safe and secure FanDuel Sportsbook app and you get paid instantly. When you win, no better place to bet the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, headed very soon for their conference finals. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get that no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel.com slash locked on. It's FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, guys, we've touched on K.J. Osborne uh, in previous weeks, and we've talked about Jordan Addison's role. Will he be a wide receiver two, a wide receiver three, and where does what does this mean for K.J. Osborne? I want to know from you guys if you think that Osborne can be a legit wide receiver two, and I think we went into seasons, whether it was uh, with Thielen and Jefferson, with Thielen and Diggs, we believed that Thielen was a 1,000-yard guy. Like, we we thought any given year, Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson could both be 1,000-yard receivers. Can K.J. Osborne provide the same belief? I love K.J. Osborne. I'm the founding member of the K.J. Osborne fan club. Anyone who says otherwise is wrong. Um, So that being said, there were 102 qualified receivers last year on PFF. K.J. Osborne got a, a pretty good uh, size snap count. He was bottom 20 in yards per route run, which is an efficiency stat. That's not based on volume, uh, bottom 30 in contested catch percentage, bottom 20 in average depth of target. Now, some of these factors kind of revolve around like Justin Jefferson, getting a big target share. That might be, be really a, a, a big factor in that. Um, but do you think that KJ Osborne can sort of improve on some of these underlying metrics, and become the wide receiver, too, that we want him to be?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I I don't really care about catch percentage all that much. Um, having that combined with the low depth of target does present potentially some concerns, but also, you know, Cousins was not performing like he typically does, right? He was performing, you know, below his... his uh, level of play and catch percentage is basically just a version of completion percentage. And that's, you know, more controlled by the quarterback than it is by the receiver. Um, And it also kind of doesn't matter. Um, I would say that, you know, stuff like low depth of target stuff, like low catch percentage, all of that, is contested
0: is... catch percentage. Let me clarify
1: that. Oh, okay. Conte- well, I mean, that's yeah. super random then. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. um, it, they're very slow, uh, sa- uh, very low sample type stuff. It's very difficult to repeat that from year to year tends to rebound. It's when you have an issue with a, uh, with a receiver's contested catch capability, you're talking kind of long view type stuff. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't bother me that much. Um, a lot of it I thought was kind of out of, out of, uh, you know, Osborne's control in the same way that I thought Thielen wasn't playing all that poorly, despite not getting as many yards as we expected. I think Osborne was playing pretty well without getting the yards that we expected. I thought that he did a pretty good job of getting open. I thought he did a pretty good job of reeling the ball in when it was thrown uh, within his area. I thought that he did a pretty good job of, you know, finding space. Now there were issues, right? I think that, You know, his timing wasn't always there like it was for Thielen and Jefferson. I think that there was uh, issues in terms of making sure that his route depths were accurate, you know, making sure that he hits the right options. But, you know, for the most part, I thought that he had, you you know, he played very well. Uh, And so I I think that that opportunity is always going to be available for him, that he's always going to have, you know, the possibility of being a wide receiver, too, in theory. Now, I don't think that he's going to beat out Jordan Addison, right? But I think that in theory, you know, Osborne is the quality of receiver where you can kind of in most offenses in most situations, get you know, a thousand yards out of them. So um, yeah, it's, those are, those are areas where you kind of want to have some questions answered, but it really doesn't bother me all that much. I think that he's very talented.
0: Yeah. And he actually had a slightly better season in 2021 than 2022, a little more efficient had an additional touchdown. Yards per route run was better. Contested catch percentage was better. Um, and that was with obviously a very good Thielen and Jefferson on the field as well. Uh, and last year, an adjustment for everybody moving into a new scheme. Braun, your thoughts? Osborne?
2: Yeah. If you're going to say, like, will he be wide receiver too, as in, like, will he be the second most used wide receiver? I mean, that's just going to come down to a camp competition, right? And kind of competition throughout the year. So to answer that question, you kind of just have to predict who wins the camp battle because. I don't think that there's any like you're not going in with the intention of one guy being two and one guy. No, you're gonna let him duke it out and we'll we'll see what happens. I guess yeah, if I'm gonna uh, predict the battle between Osborne and Addison, I guess I'll go with Addison, but we'll see what happens in camp. Um to the thousand yard receiver mark, I think that's really interesting for that scenario to happen. You need to see the offense kind of spread the ball around a little bit more than, you know, and not go 100% through Jefferson, which I don't know if they're going to do. I don't know if they should do. Um, And then you need that second guy. And you also need K.J. Osborne to be the guy that kind of is the the go-to guy for that. So I I don't see that happening. I I don't know if that is even really that negative of a thing on K.J. Osborne. If we say, I don't think he gets a thousand yards, that's a lot. To, uh, to ask for a guy that's kind of competing for a second role, even if he does win that job, unless Jordan Addison is like full on Laquan Treadwell disappearing act, he's going to eat into some of that market share, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it'll hopefully, if, if all goes well, you know, we have three viable starting wide receivers plus whatever we get out of like Jalen Naylor. Um, and we can kind of go forward from there. It, with Osborne, I don't know. I think it's just because he wears seventeen. It gets in my head. There's just such a clutch wide receiver three third down vibe that I. He just gives me so much, so many Jarius Wright memories. For Jarius it's, Wright, I, yeah. I, yeah, it's like specifically Jarius Wright. Mm-hmm. Just it just makes me. Think and then Jarius Kendall Wright, Wright
1: for a minute, so well. right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Did he <laughs> for one camp? Yeah. He didn't even make the team. Right? One camp
0: didn't make the team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know. I And there's no shame in that role, I guess. Like, that, that's awesome. He can be that. And if Jordan Addison is too, that's great. If it turns out to be kind of a a different way around and Addison, I don't know, needs time to bulk up or something like that, then okay, we'll go with that. Um, But whatever it is, he'll have his place in this offense and we can be all right with that.
0: Yeah, realistically, it's probably more of an aggregate situation between Addison and Osborne. Like, if the two of them are contributing... 1,500 to 1,700 yards combined, you're loving that. You're loving that season because that goes with the 1,800 yards that Jefferson has, and suddenly you've got close to 3,500 yards passing, and then you've got Hawkinson. Might have set those numbers a little loftily. But um, I was talking about this with Ron Johnson, too. It is a little tougher, I think, for a rookie to come in and kind of unseat a veteran in today's um lighter load climate because the Vikings go super easy in OTAs. They don't push training camp like the Mike Zimmer era. And I don't even know if Addison's going to play in the preseason. I don't think he will. So it is going to be difficult for Addison to surge his way past KJ Osborne. Like they might like what they're seeing in terms of his, okay, this guy, he's running great routes. We knew that. Um, Is he understanding the playbook? That might be the biggest hurdle for him. Honestly, honestly, but I don't know if he's going to just take the, the wide receiver two job by the collar and win it away from K.J. Osborne. I think that they'll have a little bit of, of timeshare in there. They'll be on the field together in, in three wide receiver sets. But I think it might require Osborne to actually struggle for Addison to really see his elevation in the offense. Arif, your thoughts?
1: Uh, I don't know about that. I was just looking at uh, Cooper Cup uh, with the Rams. His rookie year, he was a third round pick, right? So he's not even going to get the same kind of consideration that um, that like a first round pick like Jordan Addison would have. What was that like twenty seventeen? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and he got like eight hundred and seventy yards. He only technically started like five games, but you know he got onto the field so often. And this is a team that had investments in players like Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins, and to some extent, you know Tavon Austin. Uh, and you take a look, he's got 869 yards, he had 94 targets. I think that even though they're in a situation where they have a pretty light camp, I mean, uh, the reason the Vikings do that, is, it's related to the fact that the Rams have done it for so long. So successfully, even though they had a light camp, even though that, you know, you don't tend to see all that much from, you know, the, the players that you want in the preseason, Cooper Cup was able to get his way out of the field pretty quickly. Uh, and so I, I think that they'll have, you know, methods of trying to determine whether or not they want to rotate players in pretty quickly. Um, And my feeling from this organization, now it didn't play out last year, but my feeling from this organization is that they're not going to try and restrict rookies. I think the reason that rookies didn't see the field last year is because they weren't good. Right. Um, I think that when you have good rookies, it's going to change things. Uh, And, and, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but like based off of kind of what the Rams have done historically, you know, if, if a rookie has the ability to contribute, whether it's from the first round of the fifth round, not that we have a ton of Rams first rounders to 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 track. But uh, whether it's from the first round or the fifth round, they see the field pretty quickly, despite the fact that they don't have many reps or um, get to demonstrate, you know, who they are in a more realistic sense in camp.
2: Yeah, there's definitely like a ready to play factor like Brian Osamoa did get in, but not he totally was ready. Um, You know, Caleb Evans kind of went in as a part of necessity, and he went in over Booth, which I think also kind of tells you there's a little bit more meritocracy to this. But with, with Addison, too, and with, like, wide receiver battles, yeah, you're you're battling over market share more than, like, you know, first string, second string, third string, like you kind of are. Like, on offensive line, there's a winner, he's a starter, there's a loser, he's a backup. On the on wide receivers, it's more fluid. I guess. And so it'll be kind of hard to really determine, all right, who really is the winner of the battle? Does it even change over time? Maybe a start out and KJ Osborne's getting a little bit more while Jordan Addison's still acclimating. But then by week six, it's changed like that kind of thing can happen too. Um, and yeah, I, I get what Ron's talking about there with like, you're not practicing as hard. You're not practicing as much as you used to. It's going to be harder to, for, for guys to kind of get used to the flow of things just because there's less time. But that I don't think that that is that doesn't like preclude Jordan Addison from just showing up and balling out, right? Like if he's just like right. really good, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll put him in. That doesn't mean KJ Osborne gets banished to the bench and we never see him. But I think it, it, this is almost like a fantasy question, like what you're you're not drafting KJ Osborne in in the fourth round of your fantasy draft, assuming you're going to get a thousand yard receiver, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah. I've got a nerdy stat of the day where I compare Jaron Hall to Russell Wilson. But first, Lockdown is proud to partner with Sirius XM. You can now find Lockdown Sports Minnesota shows on the Sirius XM app, the Ron Johnson Show, Minnesota Football Party, Minnesota Sports Rankum. Download the SXM app and uh, search Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Analytics fans rejoice! Woo-hoo-hoo! It's time to get educated.
1: Oh, you're blowing my mind right now with the nerdy stat of the day.
0: Oh yes, it returns the nerdy stat of the day. Uh, I'm going to start because I like mine. Jaron Hall is on the shorter side. He's six feet tall. Is that going to be a problem? Well. I broke down his batted passes per attempt, or rather in how many every how many attempts is he having a pass batted in his career. So I looked up other short quarterbacks for reference. Kyler Murray, 41 bats in 2004 NFL pass attempts. That's one in 49. Zach Wilson, 16 batted pass attempts in 624 NFL attempts. That's one in 39. Russell Wilson, 81 bats, 5,670 attempts. That's 1 in 70. So for reference, Zach Wilson, 1 in 39. Kyler Murray, 1 in 49. Russell Wilson, 1 in 70. Where does Jaron Hall fit into this mix? Well, in college, Jaron Hall had 11 passes batted in 718 attempts. That is 1 in 65. So clearly, Jaron Hall is much closer to Russell Wilson than he is to Kyler Murray or Zach Wilson. I rest my case.
1: Yeah, no, that's um, that's a pretty strong case.
0: Pretty strong correlation. <laughs> now, if I was a real researcher, I would have gone back to Murray and Wilson and Wilson's college bats and see how they translated to the NFL. That'll be next week on it's Sam's true. Nerdy Stat of the Day. I bet, I bet. <laughs>
2: There's a skill to that I think you can see on tape with with Jaron Hall and, like, readjusting his launch points so that he can get a good throwing lane. Like, he can do that and some quarterbacks. Like, Kirk Cousins just doesn't do that because he's tall. He never really had to, but that does lead to some batted passes sometimes. Um, But yeah, you can see him, like, kind of tinkering with his launch point a little bit. A a lot of QBs can do that, and I think it's a repeatable skill when you have that.
1: I mean, I think a lot of it's it's because he's rolling out of the pocket, so, like... Well,
2: yeah, yeah. There's a ton of play action and stuff that affects that. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was a McVeigh offense, which, luckily, <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> good news. Pro style, <laughs> though, right? I mean, you you've got no qualms oh, yeah. about BYU offense. Uh, it, it is very McVeigh.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've I've got. I mean, it, about it, it, like but it's play action helps a little like, bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's more like when your like offensive linemen are all 26 years old, it kind of helps, but. um, <laughs> the uh my ner- so i've got two nerdy stats of the day because i felt like my first nerdy stat wasn't nerdy enough uh and i'm pretty confident i won't be stealing from luke um the first one is just because i was i'm doing like strength of schedule stuff and i, I just a reminder not to use win percentage as uh, a reason to uh you know determine strength of schedule uh and for that we're gonna go all the way back to the discourse from last year close game winning percentage i took a look at how many close games a team won in year end and year N plus one over the course of 10 years and what uh, their record was. And so for teams with a winning record in close games, their winning record was on average uh, 760 or something like that, 758. Uh, their year N plus one winning percentage in close games was 493, basically 500. Uh, it turns out the same thing happens on the other side of the spectrum. That if you've got a losing close game winning percentage, you get up to five oh seven. You get it's five hundred. So the close game winning percentage thing is real, especially in the next year. That's something to kind of keep in mind. Second thing. That was pretty nerdy. I didn't think it was that nerdy because we keep talking, we kept talking about it last year. It was it was all it's we talked about. Mainstream. Yeah. So yards per out run, also not that nerdy. Combined, I think these two are pretty nerdy. How many yards you get per out run? Jordan Addison, 2021 is Blitnikoff year. Um, I'm using his best year because I think that that's the fairest thing to do. Plus, it allows me to make a really fun comparison. His yards per out run was 2.94, which in college is pretty high. It's not the number one in the uh, FBS, but you know who it's right next to? Garrett Wilson at 3.00. So, you know. The Ohio state ones are pretty fun. <laughs> I will say that <laughs> uh, the guy who beat Garrett Wilson, uh, got drafted, uh, by the Seahawks this year. So, you know, <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Oh, Ohio state.
0: <laughs> Go Luke, on, nerd it up.
2: I I'm also going in the wide receiver direction. I'm taking one from Arjun Manon. He tweeted this last week. It's gotten a lot of run. You probably heard about it, but he uh, tweeted out a little chart of EPA per play and success rate on things. He was, uh, this was about the lions drafting Jamar Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs uh, and about wide receivers lining up in the backfield versus running backs lining up in the slot and stuff. Um, When you target a wide receiver lined up in the backfield, this is the last four years of data. The EPA per play is 0.33, which is insane. Uh, Success rate of 53%, which is above 50 like that on uh, just 242 targets. Relatively low sample. Not a thing that happens a lot, but a very efficient thing. Versus if you take a a running back and line that running back up in the slot and then target that running back, like use him like a receiver, uh, the EPA per play is negative, minus uh, 0.018. So just basically around zero, but still uh, not all that successful. 45% success rate on over 1,300 targets. Um, An interesting way to look at that because you hear, I think you've heard from the Lions the argument of like, oh, we're going to use him like a receiver. If you watch him at Alabama, he wasn't used like on a full route tree like a receiver. He did kind of running back receiving things which is a much more limited route tree. So it's not that surprising to see that like running backs split out wide, not running a full route tree is not going to be as successful as a wide receiver who can run anything being put in the backfield so that they can get a free release and probably a matchup against a linebacker or a safety that all tracks, but it's, you know, good to confirm.
1: I think uh, in terms of EPA per route run, because we hear this basically every year that X or Y running back is is basic. Right. Yeah um but it we hear this basically every year we're like a running back this running back is basically a receiver you could just split him out wide he's yeah. basically a receiver right there's there's at least one running back almost every year maybe two or three um and i'm not going to pretend i'm not guilty of it too i mean that's how i hyped up mike Boone right but i mean in fairness he was <laughs> a receiver you did nothing <laughs> though. yeah don't apologize yeah look at that um but uh and he's still in the league right so i'm right um but yeah, so. uh Houston Texan, Mike Boone. Um, but uh right. the thing is, I think there's only one running back in, in recent football that has been positive um versus their third best receiver uh in expected points per out run. And that's like Christian McCaffrey. And so if you think your dude is as good a receiver as Christian McCaffrey, you should just say that. Uh, because that actually gets it gives you a bar to evaluate as opposed to yeah he's basically a receiver because no one is almost no running back that's really good at catching the ball is basically a wide receiver it just doesn't happen because if that was true they would have been a wide receiver because that's pretty valuable so um yeah i the like um tony pollard i think i think didn't meet the uh didn't meet the sample threshold so he might be the other one but also he was literally a receiver. So uh I don't know if that one counts, but that's maybe the closest you can get.
0: His EPA As was play like... against the Vikings in week eleven was like nine, like nine <laughs> points. Per <play>. <laughs> yeah. Nine points in every play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just oh, give I or believe. take. Yeah. Give or take. Um let's let's since we're talking running backs, let's conclude with this. Pie chart. Four key backs, not including Dalvin Cook. Madison, Wangwu Chandler, McBride, how's your pie chart for workload?
1: Uh, Madison gets, uh, I don't know, 63%. That sounds right, right? Uh, So that gives me, what, 27 to work with? It's a big number. Is is this
0: what you want or what you think will
1: happen? What I think will happen. Okay. Um, What do you want? I want to know what you want. What I want? What do you want? Uh, Madison, 48%. Why, why am I picking these numbers? They're just harder to work with. <laughs>
2: <laughs> why can't you just be normal?
0: No, I refuse. Why not use decimal point? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: uh, and then... <laughs> And then uh what, it gives me like 52% to work with. Uh let's, let's do division uh, fast.
2: Hey, that's how many cards there are in a deck of cards.
1: You yeah, but make, it's out of three, comments. not out of four, right? That's the issue. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 17.3333. So, uh, let's
1: let's do let's do Chandler. And CJ Ham. There you right?
0: go. Now you have a fourth. Oh yeah, oh, CJ yeah, is the yeah. point one that you have left Yeah, over.
1: so yeah. so Ty Chandler then gets 21%. That gives me uh 31% to work with. Let's give CJ Ham 2%. So that gives me 29 to work with. And then uh Kenny Wongwoo, this is touches or carries? I've I've not been keeping what? that much track.
0: Let's say touches.
1: Okay, great. That gives Kenny Wong a little bit more to do. Um, then I'll give him uh 17 and that leaves 12 for Dwayne McBride.
0: All right. Braun, can you can you match that? In terms of I'm not going to paint
1: myself
2: in that kind of corner.
0: We'll, we'll a, I, I
1: think I landed that. That that worked out beautifully. Nailed it. Nailed it.
2: And, and good for you. <laughs> I'm not following. <laughs> uh, what, look, what I think will happen is probably going to have a lot more to do with who stays healthy, certain game plan stuff. Probably going to be easier to look at that kind of thing like week to week than like on the season whole. So I'll say what I... What I yeah, what I guess I would want is, I mean I don't know. I guess Madison's probably getting the most, right? So we'll give him we'll give him a solid fifty percent. But I do think it's going to be more of a committee, um, than like a lead back plus his supporting pieces. So I'll give fifty percent to Madison, and then I'll do like thirty percent. I I guess I'm like believing the coaches when they talk about Ty Chandler a little bit. And I'll say that he gets a lot more than I think maybe we're expecting. They could just be lying to me, and then I'm wrong, and that's fine. Um, but I'll give I'll give twenty five to Ty Chandler. Leaves me twenty five to divvy up between Dwayne McBride and Ken A. Wong Wu. Um, I think McBride might end up getting more than Wangwu for whatever reason. Wangwu's not like coming through from a scrimmage as a as a running back. He'll have his spot on the team as a kick returner, no matter what. But I'll divide that last 25 up. We'll go 15 McBride, 10 Wong Wu.
0: I'm thinking yeah, those snack numbers
1: there, were so dude. boring. Good Lord.
0: Too many zeros and fives. Not but enough um, more than I can chew this morning, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Braun thought about this the exact same way I am. I would love to see a rotation that kind of de-emphasizes Madison, to be honest with you. I I also believe Chandler is your number two. And I was the biggest critic in the world of not using Wang Wu during the season. And I still think it was kind of dumb, but I'm also now we're two coaching staffs into this who have clearly or clearly not seen what they need to see from Wang Wu. Maybe it's in a pass protection perspective. Maybe it's a vision perspective, but they don't like him being on the field on offense. So I too think that McBride could outsnap Wong Wu. If I had my druthers, I would have it much more equal. 35% Madison, 30% Chandler, 25% McBride, 10 Wong Wu, and uh I'm sticking to it. And I hope Chandler ends think- up winning the job. Do we think
2: they do this by drive? Like, okay, this is a Madison drive, this is a Chandler drive, and so on, or do we think we do this by like certain plays like okay this one we I, have I a running back in pass by, protection so it's Chandler or whatever
1: I, I think it's by situation I also want to emphasize that like it's probably the case that Madison is obviously better than these other backs I just like want to put that out there like yeah we're we're doing these splits based Which is options, why we're all like, penciling
2: man, him in the
1: highest right but it's like 35 I don't know man I think he's gonna get more than that like it's, it's what I want it's not, this is not your life. This well, is what okay. I want. I think that How it would he, be better for him to get more than that because he's better at being a running back. He's, but he's not that effective, though. Like, I
0: believe that he knows the plays and I believe that he can pass protect. But w- what about his profile statistically Like, makes you want him on the field so much?
1: Uh, that he doesn't create negative plays.
0: Okay. That's fair. That, that's like the I mean, number
1: one skill I'm looking for in a running back.
0: Okay. So you're cool with in his last 208 attempts, he's 3.7 yards. him on the per goal attempt.
1: line. Like, I just like that. I'm not going to like knock him for being the third and one runner. Right. Like,
0: I, I think there's so a. You're good, a you're good with the efficiency to... of a Leroy Horde. Like, who's going to uh, get. Well, Leroy, I shouldn't even slander Leroy Horde, Horde like that because he could like bust big runs but uh i just don't think madison gives you any explosive capability
1: Yeah, if we're deciding between madison and uh in equally like good back that can also split off 40 yard runs yeah of course i want the other one right but like my concern is that i don't know that players like ty chandler and kenny wongwu can avoid negative seven yard runs like that's my issue right and will they get Maybe greedy and run around, a little around or hyperbolic? get smoked in
2: the backfield
1: yeah, yeah yeah like I they like what certainly... leads to
2: a seven yard loss in a run play, you know? Like what skill right. is that
1: it's it's and, an and inability Madison's
2: to... Madison plays more responsibly. Cook could not could
0: not avoid negative plays last year. Like he was greedy. I...
1: Yeah, specifically last year. But yeah. Um yeah. which is why a bunch of this we we talked about this phenomenon, right? Before camp, a bunch of people wanted Madison cut. Because he was so bad. And then during the season, they were like, Madison should get more carries because Dalvin Cook is so bad, right? Like, I I feel like we're missing a lesson here, which is that we're overemphasizing the capability to produce big plays from the running back position at the cost of negative plays. And my concern is that somebody like a Ty Chandler, and I'd love to be wrong, obviously, right? Somebody like a Ty Chandler and someone like a A. Kenny Wongwu, they'll get you a 20-yard run if you give them enough carries, But what happens between their 20- and 40-yard runs is a bunch of negative plays that net hurts you. So the ceiling for these guys is extraordinary, right? Like, all of these people have, like, remarkable ceilings. My concern is not only that they won't hit it, it's that we're so focused on what Madison's ceiling is that we never talk about his floor, and his floor is way more valuable than a lot of these backs. So, like, I I didn't give him 50% of carries. Remember, I gave him 48 but I think that there's a difference between, you know, 35 and, and 48, right? I think that there's, like, it, it, it just feels like de-emphasizing Madison. I think we're focusing on the wrong things with running backs.
0: That was an impassioned argument. I refuse to um, agree with you. I'm also, I'm just rapidly trying to stat head Madison's negative plays, and it's just not working for me. Hmm. Um, the stab head filters are are betraying me, so <laughs> I have to well, my you know, my rebuttal will have to wait another day until I can get that. I, I can, out. I guess,
2: explain why I think this is happening, which is, um I, I think under the like Kubiaks when Madison was playing, I think they really ha- had him trying to be relief Dalvin Cook and he would kind of yeah. read plays out the same way Dalvin Cook does like Dalvin Cook will see somebody in an A gap and he'll just bounce that thing out to the edge because he can he can get the edge even if the linebacker has an angle on him or something um but Madison doesn't have that same explosiveness and he doesn't have that same ability that Dalvin Cook does but he would read it out the same way so he would bounce something out and then he would you know get tackled for for more of a loss and it would be like what are you doing man last year um Excuse me. Last year, I think Madison really played more of his own game where he would see, all right, yeah, there's a little bit of space I can fall forward for 4 yards. I can try to bounce this out and make something more of it or I can just kind of take what's in front of me. He got better at taking what was in front of him. So I like I really think Alexander and I was one of the people calling for him to or at least predicting that he would get cut in camp. And I think he took a genuine step forward last year um to become somebody that will take a little do a little bit better of taking what's in front of him using his physicality. You know, he's a big thumper, get a hit, roll over somebody, get, you know, get tackled forward and turn it into a six yard run rather than trying to bounce everything out. Be super greedy. Um, I I don't mind being a greedy running back, but you kind of have to be able to catch the check. And I think he did a good job of understanding that floor. I think that does make him a good kind of default half the, the, the carries kind of running back that will, keep your your game on schedule, or at least close to on schedule, rather than running around going crazy, taking big losses.
0: Yeah, I think that Madison's going to be polarizing. I think that the way they use running backs will be polarizing this year, and we'll see what happens with Dalvin Cook, obviously, but I, I'm still not expecting him to be part of the group. That's good, guys. Um, we'll talk to you again on Thursday. As for the rest of the uh, the week, Luke Inman, back tomorrow. We'll keep rehashing the draft. Reggie Wilson on Wednesday. Thanks to our everydayers for watching us throughout the week on the Minnesota Football Party and all of our programming on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Comment below, what do you think about Alexander Madison uh, as a featured back this year on the Minnesota Vikings? He's Arifasan, Pro Football Network, at Arifasan NFL. Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings host. Daily Vikings content with him, at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter. And I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom. Thanks so much for watching. Talk to you next time on the Minnesota Football Party.
1: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.